Welcome everyone to Rock M Radio. My name is Sam Snelling, and we're here for another episode of what's this called? Dive Cuts? Dive Cuts! Today we're going to talk some Mizzou hoops. This is episode 28. Man, 28 episodes. Uh, with me today is my friend, co-host, and Romeo Langford enthusiast, Matthew Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm doing well today, Sam. Uh, the state of Indiana will not crumble to the ground. Romeo is staying home. Um, we, we can all wake up, you know, feeling safe and secure tomorrow here in Indiana, America's heartland, uh, that the Hoosiers are back for like the 12th time or something. I don't know. I mean, this is, we'll see, but everything's great where I'm at. <laughs> Uh, yeah, deep in the heart of the, uh, the red and white country that it's crimson and cream. land. It's crimson, Sam. Uh, it's crim. Re- crimson. Get I'm, it right. I'm going red and white. Uh, cause Oklahoma's crimson, man. They're Indiana's red. They're red. Uh, yeah. So we are recording mere minutes after Romeo Langford made his announcement, uh, for, Mizzou fans who maybe don't follow uh, high-level recruiting, uh, Romeo Langford was what like the third-rated, third-highest-rated prospect in this upcoming class. Um, was down to uh, the evil state to the west of us, uh, Kansas, uh, Vanderbilt, a, a conference foe, uh, and the in-state home. New Albany is barely. Uh, a part Indiana, but it is technically Indiana, uh, but Indiana. And so as far as Mizzou goes, this is like the best possible outcome, I would think. Uh, it doesn't go to your hated rival, making them better. Uh, he doesn't go to your in-conference foes. So you don't have to face him. Uh, goes to some random Big Ten team, middle, a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team, uh, which should have no impact on Missouri. It'll impact my household only because uh, the significant other is a Butler fan, and IU will probably be on the schedule next year. And uh, she loathes all things uh, Hoosier. So she was. We we're both rooting for Vanderbilt tonight to be the ultimate destination for Romeo. But alas, he's on her schedule next year, and she gets to suffer the pain and consequences of that. Yeah, I honestly didn't really care where he went. Um, I really don't care where kids go in general. Uh,. Even I don't care what kids commit to Missouri because Missouri is going to feel the team with or without even a top uh, 50 or so point guard in Courtney Ramey, who on Friday committed to Texas, um, which has sort of been my going uh, wager, guess, uh, bet for like the last few weeks. Um, It looked like it was kind of trending away from Missouri. What would you say, like three, four weeks ago? And then it sort of stagnated. I'd say like right after his season wrapped up, it, it sort of felt like things were getting away from Missouri a little bit. Uh, and then ultimately wrapped with uh, with his commitment to Texas on Friday. Yeah, it was uh, it was one of those things I think early on in the week. You know, we obviously heard that the he was taking a day trip down to Louisville. And then uh, I talked to a source middle of the week. And, you know, this impression I got was that Missouri was out and that it was going to be and that Texas was sort of trending in and by about Friday morning I think you and I both sort of reached that that same sort of um, consensus that it was going to probably be Texas as the as the destination uh, in I was on Columbia radio uh, early Friday evening and uh, the host asked me you know are you sort of surprised and not really I mean I think we had sort of 
said back when Courtney first came onto the market again that maybe you should look at Texas um, as a, the ultimate destination because he's got a long-standing relationship there with Shaka. He fits the system down there, and Texas um, has a big fan base. It has a loyal fan base. I don't know if it's as basketball crazy, um, obviously, as Louisville, but there's a brand there. Um, so I, I think it ticked off a lot of boxes for the Ramies, and I think they sort of did something I support, which is they explored every avenue they possibly could. They looked at a lot of different suitors. They took their time, and this is the decision they reached. So um, I want to say by the time we got to Friday, I wasn't shocked, and I sort of understand how that decision was reached. Yeah, in my uh, in my conversations, I think Texas was always uh, what I would consider the, like the the team you worried about the most. Um, and then, like when Louisville hopped in, I think the immediate reaction, like the immediate reaction when when they got back involved, was for everybody to say, "Oh, oh so this is this is what it all amounts to." Uh, but after after the trip kind of happened and then you, you sort of heard that the, the announcement was coming soon. Uh, you know, Courtney went down there without his father. Um, my, my read on that was basically, this was the Ramies saying, okay, Louisville was where you wanted to go. You, you need to kind of go back down that road and you need to go talk to the people there and, and be in those buildings that you love so much before you sign off on, on this on Texas, which is where your heart is right now, and so it's kind of like like that maybe the the one last call to you know the the ex that you've still held a flame for before uh, you, you sort of you know make the full commitment to your current girlfriend, um, and I, I think that's kind of what it was more than anything. It wasn't so much that he was seriously considering Louisville; it was that he needed to kind of go there to to maybe. Uh, you know, get the the taste of Louisville out of, out of his mouth. Yeah, and I, I, over the weekend, I think I sort of went back, and I think we were. It may have sounded harsh when we said the recruitment was weird. I think because we're so used to a certain um, screenplay for how it plays out, and the one thing I can say here is that didn't necessarily follow what we're accustomed to, and you know, the motions and sort of. You know, even what's said during a recruitment, you know, it didn't go in a way that I think we've all become accustomed to. And so we naturally say this is a strange recruitment or this recruitment is Courtney and the Ramies, you know, playing this up for maximum effect. And I, you know, when I step back and I look at it, I think, you know, okay, I can understand. Like you are saying, going back and there's so many things you liked about Louisville. And Chris Mack is a phenomenal basketball coach. He's had a great track record of developing guys. I mean, I think he's got one of the better hit rates in college basketball. You know, when you go and look at his track record, he does not have a ton of transfers among among guys that come into that program. So when Chris takes a guy in and, you know, decides this is the guy we want, the, the fit's usually pretty good. So I, I think it was a worthwhile exploration for Courtney to go back down that road and sort of confirm okay yeah this is really different without rick here i you know i i need to move on somewhere else and then i think the as we sort of said all along texas kind of existed in the background and i think we discounted them maybe a little bit over the course of the winter when it looked like nova was putting on a full court press and 
you know, Jay Wright was coming in and, you know, making a move there and they had an obvious probably need at point guard. But then when Javon Quinterly jumped in and, you know, took the slot there, I think that we all sort of naturally assumed, okay, it's Missouri here. I think we read a lot of what, you know, we, we assume kind of the script of how these recruitments play out, and that wasn't the case. You know, at the end of the day, we saw that Louis, and so when we saw that Villanova had sort of exited the scene, I think we naturally assumed that Missouri had an opening there, and then Conzo stepped in, and they began to recruit Courtney pretty hard. I think we just sort of naturally saw the arc that we see in a lot of these recruitments, which is, you know, other options fall away, homeschool has a need, there's a clear fit, and it, Conzo's momentum had gone to the point where I think a lot of people felt that he could sort of pick whoever he wanted out of the St. Louis metro area, and we lost sight of the fact that the Ramies had said from the very beginning, relationships are going to be paramount here. How Courtney feels with a head coach is going to you know weigh heavily in this decision, and so when you go back to the original parameters that the family talked about, Shaka and Texas ticked all those off. And so how we got here may have been a little different, but I think at the end of the day, it sort of matched what the family spelled out they were looking for. And that's sort of how how I evaluate it is we knew what Courtney wanted. We knew Texas offered that. And so when you put those two together, it's a totally logical conclusion that he's headed to Austin. So it was disappointing uh, for sure from a lot of angles, like, like you mentioned the you know the fit was good the need was there uh but it wasn't meant to be and um it was sort of weird to kind of piggyback that off of where we were (laughs) i think kind of coming out of the blake henson visit and you had spoken with blake and he has uh had very very high things to say about his trip and uh and seemed like he was leaning towards one of the two SEC schools. Lo and behold, uh, he ends up going to Ole Miss, uh, which apparently was shocking to not just us, but quite a few people. Yeah, the when I saw the timetable getting pushed up on Saturday, which that entire you know twenty four hour period or twelve hour period, I should say, on Saturday was very weird, just because I was. At the EYBL event when uh, Corey Evans of Rivals tweeted out that Blake Henson was going to set May 7 as his decision date. And I thought, oh, well, okay, he's backed it up a couple of days. That makes total sense. That's about a week that he'll have to make a decision to go back over and evaluate anything. He had told me he was going to decide by May 5. And then, you know, at, I think, what was it, like 7 o'clock East Coast time, you know, he tweets out announcement at 6.30, which is 7.30 my time. And so I just thought, what happened in the span of, you know, less than 10 hours for this to, you know, you know, go from zero to 60? And I thought, you know, okay, his Washington State visit is wrapped up. You know, he spoke glowingly of, you know, his time at Missouri here, you know, and on the visit and on the fit, I think scheme wise and, and personality wise with what Conzo Martin wanted, you know, I thought, you know, if you were to look at a, a need on Missouri's roster, there may have been a, you know, we, a pressing need, not a pressing need, but there was a need for a combo forward. Even if, you know, Blake wasn't going to be able to step in and provide the same kind of production that Jonte was, you were still getting a guy 
who could bolster depth more clearly at that position. It just seemed to make sense. And then when you saw the commitment to Ole Miss, I think it kind of took people back. But again, two weeks ago, you know, Crystal Balls and Rivals Riders were pretty much unanimously picking, you know, Ole Miss is the destination spot. And Missouri was presumed to not even be involved until this time last week. So it was just a, I considered that recruitment more awkward and sort of weird than the Ramey commit, than the Ramey decision, just because we thought, you know, Henson had sort of fallen off the grid because Conzo had talked about how he was out hunting for guards. Then they bring him in. The visit goes really well. The timeline for a commitment gets backed up. And Henson is all but saying, I'm going to go to Mizzou. I like Mizzou. They're my number one pick. And then the choice is Ole Miss. So how that decision got made, what was behind the decision, I haven't been privy to, but it, it definitely was jarring in terms of, you know, just the how quickly the pendulum swung back and forth there. Yeah, I don't know. When it like the the, the Henson thing for me it seemed like um it seemed like a little bit of a rushed relationship. Uh you know, and and clearly we don't know when the beginnings of these uh recruitments kind of start. And for all we know, they could have been on him for months and months before we heard of the initial interest. And and I think that's probably very likely the case. Uh anytime you kind of hear about the possibility of guys reclassing, that's going to sort of adjust your board and, and maybe where they were prioritizing him in 2019 as somebody to kind of compete with EJ, uh, EJ Liddell. Um, now they're looking at him as a, a guy that you can kind of bring in in uh, a year early and and kind of give you what you, you need in that role, which is that sort of combo forward, that 3-4 spot. Uh, and, and somebody that can can give you some effective outside shooting, hopefully. Uh, and ultimately, like I think Missouri felt like they were going to, uh, they they left a good enough impression. Um, and you know, we've we've sort of managed to uh, locate a, a source or two in and around the program. Uh, and the prevailing opinion was a little bit of surprise after his commitment got pushed up by that. But also, and and my feeling on this is, I think what you do is you kind of look at what Ole Miss does, you know, what uh, Kermit does, and and his style of play, and then you look at what you know Missouri is offering, and I really think that it might have come down to some competition levels because I think Henson was probably going to be in direct competition with somebody like EJ Liddell for minutes. Uh, and I, I think when you're looking at that as sort of being year two for you, uh, you know, probably being usurped by like a top 50 freshman, um, then it makes maybe more sense to go to a slightly lower profile school where, you know, maybe you're being promised a, a little bit of a bigger role. And I think we at this point, we know very well that Conzo Martin doesn't promise anyone anything. Uh, so I think that probably played a role as well. Yeah, and when I spoke to Blake a week ago, he had said that you know Missouri, you know, talked about setting up a visit as soon as he announced his reclass decision, which was back around March 20, 21 or twenty two. So this had, he had been on the board for a while, 
and I just there hadn't been many murmurs, you know, that this was in the offing. You know, Luke Barnwell's coach said, you know, the Missouri visit, you know, was one that he wasn't aware of until a couple days before it was happening. So the mechanics of when this visit got set up or knowledge of it seemed to be pretty tightly held. But at the same point in time, I'm curious, you know, whether Blake, you know, went out to Seton Hall or whether he saw, you know, that program and he saw, you know, Washington State and he just decided, hey, let me go take a look at Missouri here. He may have had good feelings coming off the old Miss visit, but maybe he says, let me go check out what Missouri has in play. Maybe the roster's in a better situation. Maybe that program isn't in flux. We don't know what drove that decision, but I think we read, I think we weren't off base and reading that he was impressed by what Martin and the program put in front of him. But I do think that maybe he may have been hesitant to admit it, but there's, there would probably be a worry I think about being recruited over here. You know, EJ is a guy that they're chasing very, very clearly. He's arguably one of the top, if not the top prospect that Missouri's chasing in the 2019 class. And, you know, there are going to be some other ways you could still move a guy like a KJ Santos down to the hybrid four spot. There are going to, you know, they're chasing Xavier Foster in 2020. We'll see if that works out. That's a top 20 prospect in that position, but Missouri's made an early move to get in the bid there. There's going to be a log jam at that position. And if you're a developmental prospect like Henson is, you know, it's worth wondering, am I going to be squeezed out minutes wise when, like you said, Kermit's going to be able to come in and, you know, promise you a, a little bit bigger role early on. Not promise you, but the possibility is there that you're going to be able to have some more time to establish yourself in that position. I don't know, Blake, you know, you know, declined to, to speak with me last night, but th- that's just sort of a curious decision there. It seemed like there had been a late push for Missouri, and then, you know, we kind of see the announcement come up and it was just sort of a whiplash effect, but this team still has a scholarship to use now. And I think what they do with it, no one has a real clear idea right now. And that, that's sort of what I'm fascinated to see play out. Do they decide to sit on it or do they decide that they're, that they're going to go out and try and fill it? Well, so for our knowledge, they only have one more spot available and that's because they did take a commitment since the last time that we talked, they, they, uh, landed a guy that uh, people know at this point that I'm very high on, uh, Drew Smith from uh, Evansville. He does have to sit out, unfortunately. Um, but a guy who is as efficient a point guard as you could want, and I th- really think an ideal fit for what Konza wants to do, uh, both offensively and defensively. You know, many of the things that I think we paid attention to in the initial recruitment. Uh, was his efficiency, his ability to shoot the ball at a high percentage, uh, his true shooting percentage being in the 70s, which is just outstanding, um, to going to like sort of like the post-commitment uh, media where uh, you know some of the other guys went and talked to his high school coach and 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 got some quotes on you know what kind of defender, uh, and then you know some quotes from. You know Marty Simmons as well about about his uh, Drew Smith's commitment to defense and how he might have been the best defender in uh, the Missouri Valley Conference. So when you couple those two things together, it's it's hard not to be excited about the the kind of future this kid could have at Missouri. Yeah, I talked to 
Indy Kendrick, his his uh, prep coach, or his AAU coach a couple weeks ago, and just raved about the kid. And the one thing that jumped out to me is, you know, he said a couple of times that Drew knows he's not a burner. He's not going to out-athlete guys. You know, there's not an inflated sense of what his athleticism is. He's, you know, Indy said, if you were to have a scale of 0 to 100, Drew's probably a 75 or an 80 in terms of athleticism. But he's going to make up for that with, you know, basketball IQ and with playing hard and with playing with consistency. And I think that's a that that appeals to Conzo. I think that's a guy that, that can fit his program very much because it's a lunch pail type attitude, but it's also a guy who's going to be consistent in doing what he needs to do on the defensive end of the floor especially, where, you know, Indy Kendrick told me that, you know, it didn't matter positionally, one through four. The best player on the floor was going to be guarded by Drew, and he was going to know the scout, he was going to understand it, he was going to adapt in-game, and there were times when Indy said, you know, I didn't have to coach him. He would just recognize what he had to do, he'd adjust, and then he'd adjust the team on the floor and adjust what we were doing off of that. That's what's appealing to me. I think we can talk about the efficiency offensively, and that's apparent, and we can talk about the growth that he's shown consistently on the offensive level you know, throughout high school and then even transitioning into Evansville where he made a big jump between his freshman and sophomore years. But I think the one thing that stood out to me, at least from watching him on tape and from talking to a couple of people who know him, is the, desist- the consistency on the defensive end of the floor and the ability to stay locked in and to understand how to play you know, in passing lanes, how to understand coverages and be able to adjust teams on the fly stands up to me because that's something that I think if we've seen anything from Conzo Martin, that will get you pulled off the floor. If you're not defending well, if you don't understand the scout, if you have mental lapses, you're going to be pulled. And I think having a point guard who can be on the floor consistently and adjust that team and be a coach on the floor is as much of a pickup as the offensive efficiency that we're going to see on the other end. So, yeah, that that sort of, I think, encapsulates the, uh, you know, like the last, really all that information kind of hit uh, Friday and Saturday. Uh, but at this point, we're kind of looking at the Missouri basketball roster going into the season. There is one final spot. Um, we're still awaiting Jonte Porter's decision, expecting him to stay in the NBA, uh, the NBA draft. Uh, on top of that, you know, we are still sort of dealing with the possible question of, of what to do with Colin Van Leer, uh, a guy. And I, one of the things that maybe we haven't discussed enough um, kind of going into this off season is how severe of an injury that was. Um, it wasn't just an ACL tear. Like he, he blew like several ligaments in his knee. Like he's, he's in a serious, uh, this is a serious knee injury. Uh, and the normal timetable for an ACL, uh, is, is extended, uh, significantly. So there's a very, uh, high possibility that, that at the, uh, at the end of it, like Colin might be looking at a medical redshirt and, uh, or a medical uh, retirement, which is possible. Um, so, and that what that would mean is, is he would remain on scholarship until he graduates, uh, but he would not count against the limit of thirteen. Um, which, I mean, I don't want to say that like that's a good news scenario because it's not because it's still it's Cullen de- dealing with this this horrible injury and, and quite possibly the end of his basketball career um 
but having a guy that is uh, on scholarship and hurt and can't contribute, it, it is nice for the basketball team to still have that available uh, scholarship to dole out. The question that we don't know and, and we can't answer, and I can't seem to get an answer on, is where Missouri is going to go from here. Um, I've been trying, Matt. I've been, I've been searching. I've been talking to people. Uh, I mean, like, like if there is one staff that is as buttoned up uh, as any in the country, it has to be Conzo Martinez staff because they, they don't like tell anyone. Like, we don't have any idea who is left on the board for uh, 2017. And I've, I've tried, and I, I've got, I've got nothing. I've, I went back to some grad transfer options who were have some finalists and that there was one out of uh, Southern Utah, Jaden Kogi, who was kind of a wing slash combo guard and says that he has heard an area peep from Missouri. And he's at this point in the year, you're not going to get a high, high, high impact grad transfer. What you can get is a good rotational piece who can, you know, give this team some quality minutes when they're on the floor, 15 minutes a night of solid and in this case, I think solid jump shooting would be what you'd want if you're hunting for the guard spot. Um, some solid jump shooting, an average defender who can spell, you know, a young roster and who can give your give your young guys a chance to get some a, a breather and sort of bring some balance to the rotation. Those guys are not out there right now. I mean, if you go through the grad transfer list, it it, it is slim pickings and. I don't know if that's a route they can go. I'd say right now the graduate transfer market for combo forwards and bigs is is likely just picked clean as well. So, and this staff appears to have made the decision that they're going to go young, that they're not going to make a short term decision here. They're going to bring in guys that they think you know they can get old and stay old with. So if there's not a grad transfer available that can come in and give them some immediate help or, you know, even be just a stopgap measure, I don't think they're going to be inclined to make calls there. But when you look back out the 2018 market, like you said earlier, I don't see where they go either here, where you're going to even find a developmental prospect that's worth using a scholarship on. So it would almost, I think, be the rational play to just pack that one away and use it for a 2019 prospect and see what you can do with it there and or see what you can get next spring back on the grad transfer market. Yeah, I, I, I tend to kind of agree. The my only my only concern with that though is is kind of going back to what we had this year. It's a short you're gonna you're at risk of a short bench. A really, really short bench. Yeah, because you've already got two guys who are out you know for certain with the transfer. You have one guy who is most likely out uh with Colin Van Leer, uh, you are, have an open spot available. So with with those four spots, now you're 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 down to nine, and one of those guys is coming off, uh, you know, having sat out with a knee injury, and that's Mitchell Smith. Uh, and what what are they like? Th- three of those guys are freshmen. Um, you know, there's just that's not a lot of depth. And, and, and certainly coming off a year where you kind of thought that uh, Missouri might be able to kind of build if they were able to maybe land Courtney Ramey and bring back Jonte Porter, uh, then bettering the, uh, the NCAA seed that you had 
last year was certainly on the table and, and very possible with that kind of lineup. Uh, now you're looking at, uh, you know, nine, nine guys deep and, and you're wondering uh, where are they going to score points uh, and, and what sort of, um, you know, what sort of season are you going to project? And you're really kind of counting on a lot of unknowns, uh, you know, producing when you're talking about like KJ Santos and Mitchell Smith and, uh, guys that you kind of hope round into shape, uh, you know, even like Torrance Watson, um, that maybe aren't quite ready for the role that they're going to have to take on. So there's definitely some some cause for concern. Um, and we, like I said, we don't know who's going to finish off the class. And there's there's no uh, uh, Romeo Langford's left on the uh, on the board to kind of go get that can be an instant impact. So uh, it could be a, a bit of a rough year next year. The one thing I would say is, and we've, I don't want to overstate the impact he could have, but Ronnie Suggs is there as a walk-on. He's got a year of Division One experience at Bradley. Um, if you needed to go and pull a body and, and feed some minutes, that would get you to 10. I, now the, I don't think you, they would put... Suggs on scholarship, but I think you've got a guy in a walk-on who can at least credibly say he's played at the Division One level, and maybe that can be, you know, someone who can, in a pinch, be be productive for you, and that he can, you know, even out the minutes distribution. I I don't want to oversell Suggs as as a solution, but I think if you're looking to smooth out that distribution, maybe that's someone you could turn to if you're on the staff maybe yeah and and there was some uh i think dave matter had, had sort of tweeted out that uh you know javon pickett played some point guard uh while he was at sunrise before he hurt his shoulder um so you know like i guess maybe that's another option I just think like the options none of the options that we have at this point are are knowns it's a lot of unknowns, uh, you know, outside of uh, Jeremiah Tillman, uh, outside of uh, you know Kevin Perrier, um, and outside of Jordan Guys. Like those are those are our knowns right now. Uh, Reed Nico, I you have to include him, uh, and and outside of uh, you know Tillman, there's not huge ceilings on those guys. So you just certainly have to hope that they are able to raise uh, their level of play. And you you hope that uh, the guys that are at this point still unknown become uh, maybe exceed our expectations and play much better. And I think the 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 guys that you sort of look at that to me are the are the three: uh, Torrance Watson, certainly uh, KJ Santos, who I think is probably going to have to. Uh, he's that I think he's a linchpin player for for this team. Uh, that's. I mean, people are going to look at Watson's scoring totals in high school. Maybe I think you and I aren't dubious, but I think we're we're a little bit more tempered in our expectations for a kid coming in from three A, where the competition that Torrance faced may not be as stiff as what he might have seen if he had played in a five A program. So I think it's yeah, I think Santos is going to be the guy that I'm watching closely to see if he can provide scoring punch. I think Watson's going to have to go through a normal freshman period of acclimation. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I think that's why I think, you know, Santos is probably the guy that 
you maybe rely on more and, and then hope that you know maybe Mitchell Smith can provide uh, some level of offensive scoring. He did, after all, win Arkansas Player of the Year over um, Malik Monk, which that's no small feat. Um, but uh, you had quite a big weekend. Um, a lot of people started following you on Twitter, just found out that, that you're a, an interesting follow if you like Mizzou basketball. And what what these people did is they followed you because you were in uh, Indianapolis at EYBL and enjoying uh, quite a bit of grassroots basketball uh, and not seeing the, the nefarious uh, evildoers that I think we've all been warned about. We had overflow par- parking at this cesspool, Sam. A lot of, you know, I saw grandmothers bringing their grandchildren to this den of sin. I saw, you know, coaches actively, you know, changing defenses and pulling guys for bad effort. It was just an awful display of poor coaching debauchery and loose morals inside the Pacer Athletic Center. Sounds about right. I mean, I, you know, I can see why Condi Rice doesn't want to show up there and, you know, suffer the stain of being in that building. But, uh, no, it was a productive weekend here. Um, this is a basketball mad state. And if you bring a lot of really, really, really good basketball players to one place, you're, you're going to have a lot of people show up. So it was a just as someone who enjoys the sport and enjoys getting out and, and seeing, you know, guys that are coming down the pipeline, it was awesome. Um, if you live in proximity to an EYBL event, you can go for even a half day um, and you can just watch, you know, guys. And people watching is also equally fun just to watch you know, college coaches mingle around and just watch them move court to court and sort of just see the entire spectacle. It's it's kind of a trip. It is a trip. But uh, overall, really productive weekend. Uh, I got out, um, watched. I didn't go to the Under Armour event. There was an Under Armour Association event also in the Indianapolis area, but uh, I stuck mostly to the EYBL. Tracked um, pretty closely Brad Beal Elite out of St. Louis, Mo Can out of the Kansas City metro area, and then uh, checked in on a little bit on the family Detroit, which is Rocket Watts' team. And then uh, went and watched uh, Paul Pierce's newly minted program, The Truth, uh, play a couple games. They have Josh Christopher, a 2020 kid who's playing up a year on their roster. So uh, I watched nine games over uh, two days and really, uh, really enjoyed getting to see kind of who's on Missouri's board and get to see them live. It was a really, really awesome uh, setting. I think learned a lot and got to talk to some guys in the press pin area. So overall, it was just good to get out and talk to guys and see guys and sort of really get a a, a visceral look at uh, Missouri's recruiting board. Well, and we've spent, I think, a lot of time kind of talking about the uh, the 2019 class. There hasn't been a whole lot of discussion over the 2020 class. Uh, Two guys that I know that I am... Uh, very much infatuated with and hopes uh, that Missouri finds a way to sort of keep in the race and then eventually get them to Columbia uh, or a couple of, you know, Brad Beal elite guys. And that's, uh, you know, Caleb Love and Cameron Fletcher. Uh, and you got a chance to kind of see these guys. And then the, Missouri also threw out an offer to uh, Luke Kasabuke, 
who uh, is somebody that I was a little bit surprised that they offered to that quickly. Um, but after the way he was able to play this weekend, it's sort of understandable that, that sort of he's on that early list for, for 2020s as well. Yeah, those three guys play on the 16U roster for uh, Brad Beal. They don't play on – the UIBL is usually considered to be the 17U circuit. That's what gets the most pub. The 16U uh, only plays three games in a weekend, and they usually play at another off-site spot, but occasionally they get over to the main 17U hub, and that's what uh, Brad Beal's crew did on Saturday afternoon. They were the last game I watched, and honestly probably the most enjoyable – like game I watched. I mean that Brad Beal kind of borrows a little bit from Shamanat style. They'll they'll run some zone press. They'll trap selectively, but man, it was full bore from the 16U group. They were all over um, City Rocks, which is a really established program out of upstate New York. And I just want to say this: if you can get a chance to get out and see Cameron Fletcher live, you really should. I mean, he's a legit six six wing. Massive wingspan. He looks real thin now, but the kid just eats up ground in the open floor. Stride length is huge and just explosive off the floor. I mean, a couple of times he had three or four runouts where just when you hear the rim shudder and you're seeing the hanging basket stanchion shake and just he finishes with such authority, it's impressive to watch. But I think the one thing that you'll notice is you can tell he plays for Vashon and for an iron and for a coach in named Irons. I mean, just does not stop, plays with 100% intensity at all times, gets up and down, you know, drenched with sweat two minutes into the game, just plays all out, flat out. And really, if you put weight on him, could probably play any spot from two through four. Uh, he didn't have to show off much of his jumper, but the kid... It's just an athletic freak. He's got the ability to switch multiple positions. You can you can trust him on guards. I mean, he was guarding spots one through four on Saturday. It's It, it was impressive to watch him in that setting. Uh, Caleb Love, who I know you are really, really high on mm-hmm. out of uh, CBC. Uh, just zero to 60 in a blink. Can get up and down, convert speed to power really well. He's infatuated with dunking now. He can get off the floor. He's six foot three. I spoke to his dad after the game, and you know his dad was telling me that you know before um, he was able to levitate the way he can now, he was actually a really really solid three point shooter, and he's kind of drifted away from that a little bit as a point guard. He's become more of a downhill north south driver, and he was saying you know this summer and during the kind of dead period in June when they go off the circuit. The goal for them is to get back and get his jumper back working a little bit because he really feels like that's going to open his game up a little bit. And what's even scarier is he told me that, you know, the kid's growth plates haven't settled yet. He might wind up being a 6'5 point guard and can get up and down the floor about as fast as Fletcher can. Uh, Luke, uh, you know, when you watch him on tape, he's, he's not a, he doesn't look like a fast twitch guy. But the one thing that impressed me was. He understands how to get angles and driving angles and attack guys on the outside hip. He's and he's also sneaky good off the floor. You know, he's not barely getting to the rim. He can get up. He had two missed alley oops in this game, and not because he couldn't get up and go get the ball, but because it was in transition and it was a mistimed lob to him. But he can get up off the floor. 
He can finish at the rim. He's not afraid to drive. And he's and he plays with a good enough pace on those drives, too, that he can also draw contact and he can get to the foul line. And that's on top of being, you know, what we know him as at Chaminade this year, a really, really elite spot-up shooter. So I was really, really glad I got to see him live and running against elite talent at his age level because I think he's. it, it was an offer that we might have been skeptical about in the past, but I thought it was a really, really good display from him, and it really kind of sold me on him being a guy who I think you put in that first batch of offers. So those are the main St. Louis guys. Uh, they also offered um, Moses Moody, who is a 2020 playing on the uh, 17U Eagles out of Arkansas. Uh, initially, like they sent the offers out, and he didn't, get one but i think what happened is he just didn't make it to twitter yet <laughs> uh, well he also the the other issue is uh, under ncaa rules like there are contact limits with him so they had to go through his dad and then that had to be so there was some mechan there were some mechanics that kind of held that up but uh, he wasn't feeling slighted i think he just they had to get to his dad and then his dad had to get to him and so it was he was among the first batches he just delayed putting it out like you said on twitter so it was a little bit a and b uh in terms of when his offer was but he was among the first guys to get an offer on i think the 24th last week so uh he's playing up a year and the one thing if people watch moody um he's a really fluid athlete he's not explosive as or he doesn't appear to be as explosive as fletcher and love but He's a three-level scorer. Um, he's got a phenomenal-looking jump shot. He can hit off the bounce. He's great coming off screens. He's a catch-and-shoot guy you can put low in the corner. He doesn't really elevate a ton right now, mostly because he doesn't have to, but he's also extremely long, so it kind of helps when he shot loads and then gets the ball up high. It really is over the top of closeouts. Um, has the ability to finish with either hand on a floater, which is nice. If he attacks a closeout and he gets cut off, he can finish uh, with right or left on a floater. And if he gets to the rim, he's not going to dunk on you, but he's not afraid to take contact and he can shield the ball and he can try and make a finish. So just a smooth scorer, gets buckets in droves. He gets them in batches for three or four possessions. He'll go on little six-point scoring jags, kind of fall out, but he won't disappear from the game. He'll be a ball mover. He'll, He'll be engaged in the offense, and then when it comes time, he'll pop off another six or eight points again. So just you can tell the skill level is there and the poise that he plays with is there. It'll just be interesting to see what happens with him in terms of athleticism, just because I think you would want to see him be a little bit more explosive, you know, coming off a screen, catching and getting up right now. There's a little bit of a pause and he doesn't always, you know, explode in upward into his shot motion, but we're nitpicking a 15 year old that's out playing on the 17. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, a guy that, uh, certainly is a better basketball player than I was when, uh, I was a, uh, a sophomore going to my junior season. Um, but so it, it looks like it's going to be a pretty interesting, um, I guess next few months as Missouri kind of tries to put together their 2019 class and, and, you know, make their inroads with the 2020 kids. They've done a really good job of getting uh, elite talent uh, to campus. It looks like they've uh, re-engaged with uh, DJ Carton and, and trying to kind of get back in that that game a little bit, uh, which should be some. I think that's going to be a hard, I think that's going to be a hard 
hard road to hope. Yeah, that but. and Rocket Watts and Harlan Beverly, who I think all of those guys are kind of in that point guard, combo guard uh, wish list uh, with uh, maybe Mario McKinney in that role. And, and I think Missouri might be trying to hunt for a couple of those guys. They just want guys that are, that are capable ball handlers to kind of uh, go with Mark Smith and Drew Smith in that, in that next season. So it'll be certainly interesting to track and see uh, when a, a official visits start getting set up and, and to see if, uh, see if Missouri can kind of put together kind of class that I think a lot of people are now maybe expecting from Collins and Martin with, with some of these elite St. Louis players. I think it's going to be interesting to watch as I wrote today, Mario McKinney has talked about pushing his commitment into next season. And I think a lot of Missouri fans had sort of banked on either him or Liddell committing in the summer and really sort of acting as the ringleader. Well, Mario told me on Saturday that he's, you know, the timeline had been late this summer, but he'd like to maybe go out with Fashan this next year and really have a chance to showcase playing point guard. And there were some people that sort of said, the kids just hunting offers now. And I think they're misunderstanding that. I think McKinney wants to be able to put the best case forward that he can play both positions. I don't think he wants to be locked in as just a scorer and a guy who can make athletic plays in the open floor. I think he wants to show that he can, in college, have a valuable role as a guy you can trust running a basketball team. Because a lot of coaches right now have talked to him about strictly being a combo guard. And I think for him, being able to showcase the ability to play point isn't about racking up more offers. I think it's about finding a school that's going to fit him and going to give him the opportunity to have as much of a role as possible. And if that requires him you know, playing with Fashawn and maybe going to next spring, so be it. But I think you're going to, that's a situation that's worth watching and seeing how that plays out as the rest of the summer goes on. Because if McKinney pushes that into his season and Liddell is taking visits into the fall, I think you're going to I think you'll see Missouri fans start to get a little bit jumpy that one of these big 2019 prospects that they've put a lot of time into hasn't you know hopped aboard and signed up yet because you know Malik Hall another kid that I watched this weekend out of Mocan who's added some big offers in the past week you know he may not be looking at a, cutting down his list until the end of July so the 2019 class, they're in on some guys. They've laid some foundations. They have some good relationships. But if people are expecting there to be a, you know, a, a guy who hops aboard and wants you know be the trendsetter for this program, I don't know if that guy's out there right now. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's sort of the fun of recruiting. Is right now we have no idea. That could all change. Like. In a few days. In an instant. <laughs> yeah. It's, if, if we learn nothing from the Blake Hinson <laughs> recruitment, it was that. Um, the one thing I, I would say is that, you know, I also got to see Josh Christopher, who is Nicodemus's, Nicodemus Christopher's cousin. He is um, a 2020 recruit also playing up on the 17U circuit uh, for the truth. And he is the number, I believe, number nine or number 10 prospect in the 2020 class. If, if I'm correct, um, he's out of Mayfair, which is in the Los Angeles metro area. And, you know, just again, wired to score, north south driver. He's said that he, when Peach Jam is over in July, he's looking to make an unofficial visit out to Columbia. So a lot of fans have sort of 
I think, banked on that relationship with his cousin to give Missouri an in there. And they're going to potentially have a chance if they can get him out to make an early impression on what he can do here and sort of, you know, what the fit could be in Columbia. So I think that's something that's certainly worth watching. Caleb Love is going to try and get up here in June um, in between going to some camps. So those are some other things to watch if you're looking at the 2020 classes, when those kids start getting out here for their unofficial visits. Um, I can say that uh, Caleb Love really likes Missouri. I'd say that they're in great position right now with him. Um, they've been on Cameron Fletcher for a while. It'll be interesting to see if what happens with uh, Kazabuki if he you know, becomes a guy that you know, really, really likes the fact that Missouri was one of the first high majors to get in on him, but... I'd keep an eye on when Love and uh, Christopher potentially make visits too, because those are two high-level guys that are going to fit a lot of what Conzo Martin wants. So if they can get those guys on campus, it would bode well for a good start in 2020. Yeah, I think if you're looking at that class, um, if you can somehow pull off uh, Christopher with Love and, and Fletcher, you have to feel like um, you know maybe maybe that year with uh because that would be like drew smith and mark smith are probably still on the roster uh that that might be the year that that you kind of are able to make a move with with uh some elite talent uh at the at the freshman level because i i look at a guy like fletcher and i really think that you're probably looking at somebody who can right now he's hovering what in like the 50s i think he's a guy that could finish top 30 like his ceiling is really really high i He's sitting at 44 right now. I think he can move into the top, into the top 30. Uh, Caleb Love is sitting at 83 right now, but I sent you his stat line for last year. I think he averaged like 18-5 and three with a 60% true shooting percentage. I mean he he had a really really good sophomore year, and I think he's poised to have another big junior year. And if he does well out on the circuit this summer, I think you could see him start pushing for a top 50 slot next year so that's that's really where you are if you're bringing in you know a class of three top 50 guys all at you know positions of need I, I think that would be good and also we're forgetting that even if you're not getting an elite shooter in that class you'd still have Torrance Watson presumably around on the roster so there's a really 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 nice opportunity to plug in a transformational class with that kind of veteran core that that is going to need in a couple of years well, we do need to save a little bit of recruiting content for the rest of the summer. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and cut us off because we are kind of butting up. You know, I, I like my time limits. Uh, but I think we've kind of settled into a little bit of a, uh, a schedule. So we're going to try to go every couple weeks. Uh, last week, uh, I'm going to go every week. Um, that's going to be my goal for you listeners. Uh, so last week we had Jeff Greer on Opponents Alley. I thought that was a really great podcast. He was really in, in, informative. Uh, and I think next week I'm going to try and get Jim Venisi and we're going to talk some Illinois because uh, there's all kinds of fun things to talk about with Illinois. And and I think my favorite was the, the random Cartier moment this weekend. And in the mentions of that, that original tweet with uh, Cartier Gordon who – for those who aren't, who aren't on Twitter and all that kind of stuff, Cartier Gordon had some cryptic tweet about finding the best path for him, blah, blah, blah. It was, ended up not being basketball related, and we all like to really, uh, read basketball things into 
athletes' Twitters. Um, but uh, somewhere down the line of the mentions on that tweet was an Illini fan basically accusing Conzo Martin of being like a, a lying, scuzzy lizard uh, person um, for, for cheating to get Cartier to tweet something that wasn't even about basketball. So uh, Jim and I will probably talk about that. How fun was that last one? How fun was that yesterday? I had to track down a cryptic tweet. I felt bad texting people and asking them. I think I apologized at the start of every text for asking about that tweet, just because. Well, my, I felt shameful. Yeah, my first felt, message to uh, to Jay Blossom was, "Ugh, I hate to even ask you about this." <laughs> and his response was like, "I have no idea what he's talking about." So. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to. I wanted to imagine like Cartier was sitting there looking at like the summer course log and like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do contemporary painters <laughs> in American life. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, and a lot of people were just like, well, maybe he broke up with his girlfriend. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe he was like shopping for a car. You know, it's just like, like we don't know what he was doing. And this is why, like, my first response is just like, oh my god, can you people at least wait for some context? Nope, we all have to rush to judgment and tweet M-I-Z at him. Um, so that was our fun yesterday. We're through it. Uh, we will be back in a couple weeks with more dive cuts. Hopefully we will have good roster news and, and more, uh, at least, things to discuss uh, in a couple weeks. If not, then we'll spend some more time talking about 2019-2020 recruits and who could possibly end up at Missouri. Because um, we haven't even gotten close to covering all of our uh, offers that have been out. So we'll, we'll try to do that next time. Uh, so thanks for joining in today, everybody. Make sure you head over to Rock M Nation. Matt did the calculations. We had like 25 recruiting posts this month, so y'all are going to be spoiled. If you want to go back and read all that content, that'd be great. Um, I'm kind of hoping May might be a little quieter, though, so uh, hopefully we don't have to post 25 times about recruits uh, now that the Ramey song is over. Make sure you give Matt a follow on Twitter. Uh, he is exploding up the followers chart at MattJHarris85. You can follow me as well. I think I'm kind of stagnating a little bit, uh, so please follow me. I need the followers. The people are tired uh, of you. At Snelling. They're probably, probably right. Uh, go uh, rate, subscribe, all the kind of stuff at Rock and Radio. And until next time, uh, we'll be back with more dive cuts. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks, guys.